Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Feeling Seen podcast, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. Uh, my co-host today, her voice might sound familiar to you. If you or a child you know has tuned into the program Doc McStuffins, she is a BAFTA Games Award winner for her work in uh, God of War Ragnarok. And now with a feature film carrying performance in The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, Leia DeLeon Hayes, welcome to the program. Is there anything else we should know about you before we get started right up at the top? Oh my goodness, I feel like you've kind of said it straight unless everyone wants to see my birth certificate. (laughs) (laughs) Or your BAFTA. Or my BAFTA. (laughs) That was a lovely introduction. Thank you for having me. How is it winning a BAFTA? (laughs) <laughs> how's that um it's pretty it's pretty good um no it, it, it's absolutely surreal uh I think me and my family are still pinching ourselves about the whole thing yeah and for like the first first few weeks we were just still sitting in this like place of euphoria um but it's just a dream I've been acting for like 10 years now in you've done a lot of television you have done a lot of television are you were I, I think you have credits on the show the equalizer as well like you are you are out and around oh I, I have gotten a lot of experience via television and equalizer like you said is my main show but um mm. gaming and voiceover just kind of came along I didn't mm-hmm. even realize that was something you could get into as an actor and then obviously God of War came along um and and that was kind of an extension of a lot of the voiceover work that I had done before um, but I had no idea just what it was gonna become I was aware of what the first game was but yeah I really did not know or understand that the BAFTAs or winning a BAFTA was even going to be part of the conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What a fun surprise. A super fun, super fun surprise. I would say very pleasant surprise. Um, but yeah, it's like an accumulation of hard work all coming together in the form of a BAFTA. Not that that validates anything, but it. No, but it's not bad. It's not bad. It is not. <laughs> it's not bad um, for, for you know, you, you work, you work quite, quite a lot, but it's still like in creative jobs that are like gig based and freelance. It's nice to be able to show your parents that you've got a real job sometimes. It's like, look, it's it's real. It's a career I have. That's so funny. I feel like it's less with my parents and more with like my grandparents and my uncles and aunts and my cousins where I'm like, you guys, I swear it's working. I do, I worked I, I I was in magazine journalism for like 15 years and I was like at, I was at Wired and, and New York Magazine for like the bulk of that time. Like these are national magazine award winning publications. But for some reason, my grandpa could just never grasp that I had a job. <laughs> and like I would come home for holidays and be like, so, Jordy, can you do, do you want to do this, this, this? And I'd be like, no, grandpa, I'm working remote. Right. Like I like it's flex. I have that flexibility and that's great. But like, well, when do you get off work? Five, six, the time that people get off their jobs in the day, like for no matter how long grandpa just like it never set in that I had a job that that was a whole job. Oh, completely. Especially when it's creative or like art related. It's just not taken (laughs) fully seriously. Yeah, it's a hobby. It's your hobby that you love so much. It's just a good time, especially when because I grew up in the South like you and the way my parents were raised were obviously like you have to get a job or you have to have a career. Mm. Um, And like acting isn't really a part of that. The arts weren't a part of that. I was very lucky to have incredibly supportive parents from a young age. All right. Um, and that's even the reason we even came out to Los Angeles and why I started auditioning. But um, a lot of the time it is like, OK, well, it's not like you won an Academy Award, so you're not really an actor. 
<laughs> I mean, they're just British. Like, come on. Like, what even is about? We left there, man. Right, right. Well, I guess the, the, the last thing I wanted to ask before getting into the character choice is, how did you find physicality to be a part of your job when you started doing voice acting? Where did that come in to, like, how did you have to sort of realign that or reapproach it if you did at all? Oh my gosh, because it is, that's such a great question. As it's so interesting, you would think being behind a microphone, um, it's, it, you don't really have to use a lot of physicality. Sure. Um, but you have to use it even more <laughs> than you would mm-hmm, have to mm-hmm. on like a live action television show or any type of film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because my first big experience with any type of TV show was doing Doc. I booked it when I was like nine years old. Wow. I learned everything there uh-huh. a lot there um and i would watch some of the older actors who had been doing it for a much longer time i would be in the recording booth and i would see how they moved and uh-huh. I would see their facial expressions mm-hmm. and they were giving like 10 times as much the bigness of it almost feels like watching stage performances no it, it is it's completely like theater um which mm-hmm. also leads into god of war too because uh, for like a year and a half before you even get to a recording booth, you're on a mocap stage mm-hmm. and everything is super technical. Like you have to mm-hmm. hit each mark. And if you don't hit the marks, then it's just not going to fit well with like gameplay. Mm-hmm. So they have to find a way to like smoothly transition. Um, and like movement is such an important part because like this character is now yeah. not just your face, it's your entire body. Mm-hmm. Um, and a camera is now on an iPad. So it's like moving with you. Um, so it, it's a very interesting experience. But I think the biggest thing that I learned via voiceover is just how expressive you have to be with your entire body mm-hmm. and your face. And maybe it looks stupid or <laughs> <laughs> you're going insane. <laughs> But it sounds equivalent to what it would look like on a live action film or TV. It's nice to know that people are back there just fucking giving it their all, man. Like, (laughs) I cannot underestimate the intonation that she just affected in this role because that came with the whole body performance in that room. Body performance, right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, I guess I will. We can get to the the meat of the, the conversation being the. And, you know, normally the the question begins with, you know, a a character from film. But every once in a while we have people bring a TV character instead. And what I wanted to kind of start out with you was you selected Issa Rae's character in Insecure. Yes. And did you have considerations for characters in film? Or was it just that is TV just a richer palette of, of of choices for you like where where do you kind of come down on the the movie tv divide in terms of where you feel like you're really aligned getting the chance to align with characters more often generally well i do feel i do feel with tv because you have so much time with characters especially on something like insecure where you have like 30 minute episodes and like 22 episodes in a season mm-hmm. i do feel like you get more time to to understand or to relate to a character But I will say I was struggling with this question and it brought up a lot of, I guess, internal feelings and also internal questions of like, why can't I? Because, well, let me start off with saying I started acting when I was eight or nine years old. Mm. So a lot of the influence and a lot of people who inspired me to start acting were on like Disney and Nickelodeon. Like Mm. I started with like That's a Raven and Zendaya and Shake It Up. That's Mm. that was my influence. Um, but it just kind of showed me that there's not many young black and, and 
free young women like mm-hmm. in film or TV where I completely relate to and just feel like they're being and it's okay mm-hmm. that they're just being and living their life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't simply because like, okay, well, I feel like characters in, in TV series, I'm able to actually like intricately get to know. Mm-hmm. It was more so because when I think of Issa D, I just think of someone who's living their life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I feel like there's not enough representation in film, at least of, uh, with my knowledge of film, mm-hmm. um, where I can think of young black actors and artists or characters who are simply just able to be young. Because one of the places where I felt seen was when I watched Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. But there's still that divide of like, Mm-hmm. of being just a person of color and knowing yeah, that you're not in fact a young white girl in Sacramento no, I'm not yeah I'm, <laughs> I know some people confuse me with Saoirse Ronan all the time but <laughs> it's just not who I am I'm like guys <laughs> enough thank you but enough thank enough you of enough. that like I'm flattered but really enough <laughs> um, so I just feel like representation in film and tv it just needs to expand more and Issa mm-hmm. D when I watched that show because it was pretty recently I watched it like a year year and a half ago I had never seen such a young and like vibrant and awkward mm-hmm. and just like funny character. Um, and so she resonated with me in that way where I felt mm-hmm. like I come from a place of like pain or anger or grief. She was just having a good time. Some mackerel because we want some classy shit and too many bottles of this wine we can't pronounce and a variety of desserts. I am so in love with you. Did y'all know? <laughs> Seriously, Malibu, I know I call you out for doing the fucking most, but this is like for real legit. You know, I feel like I'm in another country. Like, I might really help you do the dishes, <laughs> right? Wait, you volunteering to clean up? Are you sure you don't want to move in with me? I promise I do not have as many rules as your brother. Nah, girl, I love you too much to stay with you. <laughs> All right, well, here's to us being on some black girl magic shit. <laughs> Bitch magic? We ain't shit but some tricks. <laughs> Hello? What? Pick <laughs> up the phone. Hello? Are you so stupid? <laughs> I really enjoyed, when the series was on, I particularly enjoyed reading the writer Angelica Jade Bastien's um, analysis pieces on Vulture about the show. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a returning theme that she would go back to with it was, at times, she would feel a sense of frustration at the shows. And she wrote about this particularly during, like, the lockdown era. She would feel, she could feel a sense of sort of lack or frustration at the show of not attaching itself to sort of the bigger issues in real life that would be troubling for these characters while also at the same time being like and yet the joy of the show for me and why I will always go back to it is it it is because these are simply young black folks black and brown folks who are allowed to be happy and live beautifully and and also are lit and shot with such care as to be as to look and be their best on screen as as they should be rendered and so that was that was such a you know, not everybody has, everything has to be fucking activism, but it feels like it becomes a sort of activism to just live joyfully when so many things insist that like you shouldn't be able to or allowed to. Oh, completely. I mean, especially just being black and just like even the opportunities being a black actor or black actress, it's like, uh, I always wanted like a ladybird or like a La La Land where you could just see young people just being free. I love movies where there's not a lot going on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you just get to see them living their life and maybe having a, fu- a f- like few uh, or a few like um, mistakes that they made. And then you mm-hmm. can come out of it and their relationships with their friends. And 
when I saw Insecure, I was like, I thought they also tackled a lot of the things that were going on within the Black community very I thought they tackled it lovely. And that's just all like, I'm so centered and I'm so zen. I recommend therapy for everyone. Grandpa. <laughs> Did she say therapy was working for her though? I mean, I guess, but who wants to go broke paying for a fake friend? But maybe talking through some shit with someone isn't the worst idea. <laughs> Bitch, you trying to say I need therapy or something? Come on, no. <laughs> like, but I mean, maybe because, you know, the, the stuff that you went through with Jared and, and even that lawyer nigga, like, maybe it can help. Girl, even I would go. Because, I mean, she's, um, uh, even Issa Rae's job, like, she has to go to these schools and talk to these kids. Mm-hmm. And then she deals with racism at her own job, but also within her own life, this feeling of code switching. Mm-hmm. Um, between like white LA and black LA mm-hmm. and growing up in Los Angeles and like going through the audition circuit as well I thought was so interesting to see just like a young black woman mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to figure out these two spaces and how she fits within both of them um, and how she is trying to also remain true to herself and not code switch um, depending on what community or people she's around. As youth liaison I can assure you that whatever it is you need to succeed we got y'all. So do y'all have any questions? Don't be shy, guys. Fire away. Why you talk like a white girl? (laughs) (laughs) You caught me. I'm rocking blackface. (laughs) Any other questions? What's up with your hair? I don't know what you mean. My cousin can put some tracks in it. Unless you like it like that. You rule. She African. (laughs) We're all from Africa, guys. Absolutely. Let's stick to questions about the program. And there's such, like, an emphasis on friendship, too, Mm -hmm. in the show. Molly and Issa are the 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 one true pairing of of Insecure. The one true pairing, and I I watched that final episode. Spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it, but the one where I think Molly is getting married. I think mm-hmm. she is, and I was crying my eyes out <laughs> just looking at like these two best friends and knowing that they were the heart of the show. Mm-hmm. I could see my my friends within within their friend group. I just, I I loved it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I really mm-hmm. did. Thank you so much for everything, Isa. Of course. There's no way you want to get out there dressed by yourself. <sighs> nah, girl. For everything. Just for being you. <laughs> oh, for loving me while I was me. And, um, and girl, I don't know where life is going to take us, but I just know that as long as you're around, I'm going to be okay. Like I said, I feel like they were able to talk about a lot of the own social issues that are going on within our own community, but also at the same time coming back to the fact that 
at the end of the day, Issa D is a human being and she's mm-hmm. figuring out who she is. And that's what I at least got from it. Well, I, I, when I had, um, when Ali Cravalho came on the show, she, she really hewed more toward animation in the characters that she related to because she felt like there was, um, she's in her early twenties and she felt just like she didn't see many people who she felt actually rep- were representative of her and what she brought to the table in like a literal linear way. But mm-hmm. animation, they're like, it's pure imagination. And so like the creativity of that and the sort of boundless um, sort of forming you could do against it was something that she felt really comfortable with because she just didn't necessarily feel like, you know, people like IRL 3D people and, and, and the art made about them made space for her. So she went more into these like fantasy oriented worlds to feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Completely. I feel like I completely relate to that one. She's lovely. I just met her a few days ago and she was. What's so- one of my favorite episodes we have ever done? And it actually is apparently on Spotify, our most popular episode. So oh, the God. people, the people realized that Ali Cravalho is a fantastic gem. She's a gem. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's just a really, I think, unfortunate and just truthful reality that a person of color and you're searching for yourself on screen. It's just so hard to find it without, because even someone who also popped in my brain when I read The Hate You Give when I was younger, I resonated completely with Star Carter. Garden Heights is one world. Williamson is another. And I got to keep it separate. So when I'm here, I'm star version two. That means flipping a switch in my brain. Williamson star doesn't use slang. If a rapper would say it, she doesn't, even if her white friends do. Hey, boo. Hey, how are you? I'm good, girl. Slang makes them cool. Slang makes me hood. Yo, those kicks are lit. Thanks, Space Jams. But there's just so much grief (laughs) and there's so much pain Mm -hmm. that also goes into that film, that goes into that book. And it is our truth and it is our reality. But a lot of the time I'm constantly searching, even in the roles that I play, Mm -hmm. to to be the types of characters that I I wish that I was able to see on screen. Um, yeah. And I can't even just say like when I was younger, like I genuinely am yearning for it right now. Yeah. See, black characters and young black women where we can just be free to live and mm-hmm. enjoy our lives without worrying so much about um, the pain or mm-hmm. and kind of the real horror that comes with being black in America, like you can shed light on that, but also at the end of the day, know that we are full three-dimensional human beings, um, even without that. Mm-hmm. I was, no, I was, I was, uh, I was doing an episode recently of a podcast called Screen Drafts, where you go on and you like, you make a top seven list of the best movies and whatever the category is that, that is for that episode. We were doing gay, queer studio movies, LGBTQ studio movies. Mm-hmm. And I was so like in in making this list with the other person, like it's a two person collaborative process. I was really struggling with the notion of like, where does pain? I'm I'm a I'm a queer person, and it was like, where does pain fit on this list? Mm-hmm. How much do I want to like some of the most notable films about like LGBTQIA folks uh, that have ever been made are about suffering, and uh, are about AIDS and about death and about gaslighting and about lesbians torn asunder by the patriarchy. Like, and mm-hmm. it was like, if I have seven seven slots here. Where do I, how much do I want to prioritize the agony that is vital to this history, that is inextricable from it, that is a reality in our present and defines the past? Do I really want to give it a weighty representation here with a disproportionate number of choices? Or do I just want to choose because I get to make this list that this list will reflect joy? Mm -hmm. And so it's an interesting consideration of being like, 
God, the bad matters and the people need to know about the bad. But then you mm-hmm. find like audiences from outside communities being like really attaching to the negative. And I remember when that show, I think it was um, Them. Oh my gosh. They, yeah. And, and just like the intense conversation around that show when it came out, when it was like, yeah. it is, it is, it is made by, by people of color. Yes. And it was also just like, this is so violent. Mm-hmm. Who is this for? Right. Like, we know. So like, I don't think you're telling us again. So like, right. is, is this for white? folks or like but i think it's supposed to be for me and where do you and and the angry black girl and her monster is a is a heavy film it's so you are so good at this movie by the way you like a collaborative effort everybody's great but like you have a lot of responsibility in this movie and the performance that you have and like every frame that you're in but like that is a movie with a lot of pain and i wanted to hear from you about balancing that in your career because that becomes then it's something you're inviting into your life too oh my gosh completely i think that was my that was the most nerve wracking and like a a lot of the hesitance that came with even taking on this part Mm. uh, was simply because I didn't, well, one, the title, like the angry black girl and her monster, you hear that. And the biggest thing for me, especially just being young and black is you never obviously want to fit into any stereotype or categorized in any way. And I felt even with some roles that I had done in my past that I had, even if they were much, if I was much younger, I was mm-hmm. fitting into that category and I just didn't want to do that again. Yeah. Um, but I read for Vicaria and I read her backstory and I immediately felt like it was completely different than anything I had ever read. Okay. And I didn't see any stereotype. I did see a full human being. Um, <laughs> and I saw a young girl who was innovative and mm-hmm. brilliant and creative and ambitious and was going to march to the beat of her own drum, no matter what anyone tells her. Um, and obviously, what comes with that and even her creation is this manifestation of grief, loss and trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's so beautiful about our movie is the fact that you're taking on like a classic tale. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is this is a Frankenstein. Retelling. It's a Frankenstein retelling, right? At the end of the day, um, but you're putting it in our community, mm-hmm. and I feel like you're showing that. Okay, yeah, maybe you can have these stereotypes, for instance, mm-hmm. like an angry black girl, or you can have some type of monster. You can have your drug dealer, mm-hmm. but also there's duality to all of these characters. You get to see even with like our main drug dealer that he. This is the only way that he's able to make money, mm-hmm. and the only way via his community and the way that society and redlining has worked out for mm-hmm. us is this is what we have to do these are the consequences of the actions of society and where they placed us um so with trauma and with pain and death which is obviously the conversation in our movie at the end of it there's a payoff and i feel like you are looking at it as in a way, a metaphor for what it's like, again, to be black in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also how when you are black, there is this feeling of hopelessness or mental death when you see just how society has placed us. But also Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, what keeps us going is that hope Mm -hmm. and our love for family. Um, And I feel like that's the main point of the movie is you do. Obviously, we get to see a lot of death and grief and how that infiltrates the mind of Vicaria. But at the very end, you get the payoff of hope. And Mm -hmm. that's the way that Black people are able to create such gold out of their trauma or um, beauty out of their pain. Mm -hmm. It's that hope that we get at the end of the movie. Hopefully that's not spoiling anything (laughs) for anyone. (laughs) It's time for a quick break. 
We will be right back with Leia. And after our conversation, I'll have one quick thing before I go about it's Jordan Crucial, the time on the Feeling Scene podcast. We are going to talk about the Expendables 4 trailer because it features my one, my only, you love her, you know her, Megan Fox. Uh, the boys are back and they're bringing the hot girls with them. So let's just celebrate the Expendables 4 at the end of the pod. Stick around for that. My fellow graduates, for 500 episodes, my podcast, The JV Club with Janet Varney, has gathered story after story of all the scandalous things we've done throughout our childhoods. Wait, what's happening? Stories like how Jamila Jamil survived a horrific house party and she was on crutches. This is great. Or how Hal Lublin learned a Shakespearean monologue in his pajamas. This is not the speech we approve. Without your love and life tragedies, there would be no podcast. In fact, I'll have an exclusive look at how Maggie Law Lawson's mom confronted her after a sneaky basement meetup with her crush. Spill the tea, JV. Security! Uh, uh, listen to the JV Club with Janet Varney Thursdays on Maximum Fun! Class of forever! Parenting. It's hard, but don't worry, you're not alone. Belly up to the low bar with one bad mother and let us remind you that fine is good enough. They want to climb on different things. And how am I supposed to keep them both from dying. <laughs> there is a right way to do this. And if I can figure out that right way, I'm going to be a good parent. So that is not a thing. So join us each week and let us tell you that you are doing a good job. You can listen to One Bad Mother on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. This week, I'm talking to 18-year-old actor Leia DeLeon Hayes, who, despite her youth, already has a decade-long career under her belt. She's feeling seen by Issa D, the central character in the show Insecure. So let's return to that conversation right now. Issa Rae's show obviously came out of her, like, web series, Awkward Black Girl. And, like, you have you have touched on, even in this conversation, like, you mentioned, like, that awkwardness and that discomfort of Issa D. And that is, like, a through line. Like, no matter where she is in her growth journey throughout years of the show, like, there's still a sort of awkwardness about Issa. And yeah. I wanted to hear from, I, I guess I wanted to hear from you a bit more about, like, the permission to be strange and the maybe, like, you know, a liberating quality of seeing an, a, a possibility model just, like, and also, I get to be weird as this, I get to be awkward as this person who looks like I do on screen right now. And how such a small thing like that can just matter so much to feel like you can be full and be that at the same time. Oh my gosh, it's so freeing. I even, that was one of the uh, things that I could take away from this movie. One of the biggest takeaways was the fact that I could let go and just mm. be free. Um, Vicaria, if I compare her to me, like I, especially being a young actress, you tend to become a perfectionist sure, sure. Um, and constantly want to know all the answers and being a young person too. It's just, sometimes you don't really realize why you're here and fair, but it is, it's such a, like, it's such a scary thing. You just wake up in the same way of Frankenstein. He's like, I didn't ask to be here. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Really? Um, and then when you obviously see how they treated Frankenstein, you're like, why do they hate me so much? Like, why are they scared of me? And I guess that can be a metaphor, I guess, for just how I've uh, I felt or um, I felt in my own growing up. Mm -hmm. um, but it is this feeling of being a perfectionist and just mm -hmm. always wanting to feel like I've no I want to know the answers. And 
I want to hit a certain point where all this just gets easier. And <laughs> <laughs> I truly believed like by the time I turned 18, I would have it all figured out. I'll be good. <laughs> um, and is even again, when you're auditioning or when you're going onto these sets and you're 11, 12 years old, yeah. a lot of it feels like you are just kind of the puppet in somebody else's vision. Yeah. And you want to be the best puppet that you can be. And you need that type of validation to know that you're doing a good job. Um, and you don't, or at least in my case, I had to learn and I'm still learning how to be, or to take more authority within my own career mm -hmm. and my own self as an actor, how I can have agency over who I want to work with and the types of characters that I want to play. Mm -hmm. Just having that control. Um, and with Angry Black Girl, when this film came along, I've done a lot of TV and TV sometimes can be like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> exactly what you what they want. And also you're working consistently for a long period of time and they're mm. moving fast. Like there's not a lot of time to ask questions and mm. collaborate. Um, and with certain voiceover projects, but especially with Angry Black Girl and her monster, it just gave me so much leeway to play mm. and to be free. Vicaria is a character where she is just marching to the beat of her own drum. Mm -hmm. and She really does not care if you don't believe in the things she believes in. She's going to do what she wants to do anyway. And I found that just so liberating to be a part of, obviously, the creative process of building the character, mm. but then getting onto set and working with someone like Bamani and with our lovely cast and crew, who was so open to just being free mm. and making sure that the script was simply a blueprint um, and not something that we just had to follow step by right. step and line by line just as an actor, just gave me a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I had never felt so just open-minded and I just felt so great and liberated in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, so I think I'm always looking to play the strange and like unique and the weird. And horror is here for you. Horror, horror is here for you as much as you want to do that. Exactly. And I was yearning to do horror because I wanted something that was going to challenge me and really feel outside of the box. Mm -hmm. And this opportunity was like the perfect vehicle for that. And it also goes back to voiceover as well. Mm. You get so much time and so much leeway to be weird and quirky and crazy in a booth. And then nobody yeah. gets to see <laughs> the physical performance or like the yes. facial expressions you were able to give. But it is just this feeling of like you can yell, you can scream, you can cry, you can you don't have to have all the answers before you set. You can be spontaneous and that's fine. And you're able to find and create a lot of the weirder moments or a lot of the more specific moments via that spontaneity. Um, and I felt with this movie, I was able to have that on a set and I hadn't really had that before. Hmm. Um, so I felt like I grew so much as an actor and a person just to be like, okay, well, I don't have to know all the answers. Hmm. And I can do all the prep work at home. And by the time you get to that first day on set, you just got to let that thing go mm -hmm. and just trust yourself at the end of the day. Um, and then which ultimately led to a lot of the weirder <laughs> characteristics being played into it. You're 18 and you're at this juncture where you're too like, I want to assert more control and have self-determination in my career. And I, I want to... I want to have my own say in what I'm doing and I'm now legally not a child anymore. What right. does the what does the environment of what was on set with angry the angry black girl and her monster 
what did you sort of take from that going forward of like, okay, here's what I'm not going to settle for anymore. Or like, here's what I'm going to insist on next time. Like, what is the, what is the carry on effect of getting to have that feeling surrounded by really trusting people on set together? Right. I mean, because collaboration is so important. And if Mm. people give you, if they let out their hand to guide you, um, not everyone is able to do that on set. But there was such a, there was so much of that on, on one on Equalizer, but especially on this film where they were able to just like let their hand out and say, girl, we got you. And it's so great. it, It really, it really does start there. If that foundation is built then I felt I had all the freedom in the world to mm. play. And even if maybe a, a choice didn't work or if a take was kind of bad, mm. it's just having the the support of those around you and of your collaborators to know like, okay, well, try it again or try mm. it a different way. And that can be the bounce off. But I think it's such a great question. Um I think what one of the biggest takeaways from the movie that I'm able now to even feel more comfortable in or even take on to other projects is saying no. Yeah, (laughs) huge, huge. (laughs) Yeah, I think just um, the fact that you know your character Mm -hmm. and you have control over what you believe your character is and wants. Mm. And you've spent more time with that character than anybody else on the set. It's, and I'm still learning this, it's just feeling comfort in disagreeing mm-hmm. or uh, sticking to what you truly believe in, even if someone else might not agree with that thing. Mm-hmm. Being okay to say no, mm-hmm. <laughs> or being okay to say, okay, yes, I understand what you're saying, but can we maybe try it this way instead? Or can we try to find a way to um, make both parties happy? Mm. As opposed to constantly or getting redirection, just being like, okay, I got it. I'll do it that way. Or I'll mm. keep switching it that way. So I would say saying no, um, asking many more questions. Mm. And even in my own head, I feel like I was able to come out of that film feeling more comfortable and um, I feel like I felt more comfortable in my own capabilities. Like I was able Mm. to understand what I could do and believe that I was fully capable of certain things. And I just had so much confidence coming out of it that I did not have before. I really, my dad went to a fraternity and um, he was in a fraternity Mm. and he was a part of like Alpha Phi Alpha. And he said that was the moment where he felt he was extremely confident Mm. and he came out of it knowing that he could basically do anything. And I (laughs) felt like every black girl was that for me. Like I just came out of it feeling so um, confident in my own capabilities and felt like I knew my worth more. Now this is something that obviously changes every single day. And I'm like (laughs) constantly having to remind myself, but coming out of the experience, like that was just the biggest takeaway I think was like, all right, well I have, I can give myself permission to be Mm. free let go um and ultimately that makes me feel more confident in my own in my own capabilities and know that I'm not limited to anything or anyone well and and I and listen you didn't come here for me to fucking validate you but like I I I so hope that you can hold on to that exact thing that you're talking about insist upon it for yourself fight for it for yourself like believe in it because you are right and that is true like 
absolutely settle for nothing less because you are correct. I'm going to take that all in. Truly, because it is such a it's such a hard thing, especially being young and yes. in the industry mm-hmm. to navigate and understand. I have been so lucky to have wonderful people to work with. I'm That's speaking great. of Queen Latifah and Lorraine because they hold it down like they just have this lovely way of creating a boundary. Um, but also being so free and mm-hmm. laid back and chill and kind and generous, but also knowing, okay, you're not going to step there. Mm-hmm. This is what I know how to do. And that's that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I respect it. And I will keep growing in that and getting better with that type of um, authority moving forward. <laughs> well, and a, and a wonderful, and, and you know, a, a, a thing that just can't be said enough about Insecure is that this came from like, this came from a web series, Awkward Black Girl. And then Issa Rae has the show that she presided over and was the face of, and it was the face of, and was like the presiding controlling force for all of the seasons that it ran. So like, it seems like insofar as one can have freedom within like answering to people who sign checks and a network and all of that stuff, like this got to be Issa Rae and what she believed in and wanted to see for seasons of premium television. And that's kind of like, that seems like the pinnacle of what one could hope for. It's like, yes, that I just got to decide and I got to make the thing that was true to me. And surely there were compromises along the way, but like, it's a pretty un- incredible achievement to watch it have come from just the brainstorm of her YouTube series of to HBO. Completely. And even tagging on to that, like, I watched, because at the end they kind of did this finale documentary situation mm-hmm. where they were talking about the certain directors they wanted to direct certain episodes. Mm-hmm. And she had so much, like, she just had so much control over who she wanted on her team. I think she even chose the showrunner. Mm. Um, and then on top of that, she would have all these Skypes with these directors. And the network was basically telling her, you're not going to go with that woman. You're not going to go with that woman that you're thinking of. She mm. was not good on that Skype. And Issa Rae was like, no, just give her another chance. Just give her another <laughs> chance. And it ended up, I'm so sorry, I can't remember the name of this this uh, this director, but I think she directed Queen Slim. Mm. Um, and it basically was like the start of her career yeah. because she was able to direct so many Insecure episodes. And it was simply because Issa Rae fought for her. Mm-hmm. Like she fought for her people and she fought to have the show that she wanted to create. And like you said, taking a web series and I've seen some of the episodes and it's not like it's it's obviously not insecure, but it's coming from like very low budget. Yeah. It's her own ideas. It's just very like <laughs> it's just her. And so for her to get it to HBO and to get it in front of maybe a lot of people who don't look like her and yeah. get it to for five seasons, it's just something to applaud and is just not a story that we get to see very often of mm-hmm. someone who is able to star in the show, write, be a part of the writer's room, choose the director, create the show, um, and ultimately at the end of the day have the show that she wants, like not being able to also compromise her own vision. Mm-hmm. It was completely her own. Um, and I can only hope to like play characters like that mm-hmm. and in the future create projects like that where you just, again, you have that, authority and you're able to take that agency over what you want Mm -hmm. i it's something that i I was looking with i'm 38 so we have 20 years between us and something i was really excited about in, in in that difference is 
I like obviously have this show that's all about like, where did you feel seen? Where did you feel represented? But I, as an elder, as a geriatric millennial, as they say, <laughs> when I grew up in the 2000s, like, particular queer person like seeing anything queer anywhere was like oh wait there's one or like where you would like invent it where it wasn't by making something up and and headcanoning something and so like I'm still I know I still operate reflexively from that mindset of being like hey there's this thing unless we should celebrate this little thing we see but like also demand better but like being 20 years my junior like I wanted to make sure and ask you like you know, is the question even sort of framing this podcast, like, where have you felt represented in media? Is that a faulty framing in an approach for, like, people in your age group, like, the Gen Z sort of range? Like, are you guys thinking about it that way? Are you like, well, no, we're not really obsessed with that in those terms sort of situation? Like, I always want to interrogate the framing of this to make sure that I'm not taking for granted that we're all thinking about this thing in the same way. Right. I fully feel like I love the title. One. Well, gosh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's get to the basics. I love the title. <laughs> it's hard to say because, again, it's just it's different. Like you said, if you're a part of any type of marginalized community, it's like, yeah. where, where do you feel seen? Yeah. Honestly, a part of the reason why. I want to create or I want to act is because I want to be the person on screen who makes someone else feel seen. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think at the end of the day, I got into this industry because I was inspired of what I saw on television or what Mm -hmm. I saw in film. And it wasn't coming from a place of, okay, well, I want to be famous or I want to be a star. It starts with representation. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that, and I don't think it matters if you are, 20 years younger, 20 years older, or you grew up in any different era, at the end of the day, I think you start being a creative when you do feel yourself represented on screen. Mm. And I can't even sit here like the Gen Z mentality is different. You're speaking for everyone now. I'm president of Gen Z. (laughs) We heard it here first, everybody. We got the president (laughs) of Gen Z on the pod this episode. Exactly. I am president of Gen Z, and I say that Feeling Seen is the podcast We're poll quoting that. We're poll quoting that. That's going in the next membership drive right there. Boom. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, we all start out in this industry where we start making art, at least for me, because Mm. I felt represented and felt inspired. Another one that I had mentioned and I had thought about because I was eight years old when I watched this and just the scene should have not, I should not have been watching the movie, was like waiting to exhale and seeing Angela Bassett do her like... With, with, with the car and the fire, yeah, her ex husband's <laughs> car and her clothes, and like she had this wonderful like monologue that she was saying at the same time, and she had literally improvised all of it. Um, but I was going around when I got my first headshots, telling the photographer like Angela Bassett and Loretta Devine are my favorite actors. So. <laughs> <laughs> Classy choices, okay? Classy choices. Right. But I mean, I had never seen anything on film or television where I had such a visceral reaction to something. I was like, uh-huh. that's how a woman acts like that. <laughs> that's a grown woman. <laughs> that is a grown woman. <laughs> started that damn company without me. Hell, I work my ass off. I mean, I got a master's degree in business and there I was his secretary, his office manager, and his computer. No, Bernadine, you can't start the catering business this year. Why don't you wait a few years, huh? Yeah, don't start it right now. Wait one, two, three years. I need you to be the fucking background to my foreground. I hope I hope so much 
that you continue at least like surveying your options in the genre space. Because the thing is, you make two horror movies and this fandom is like, you're ours forever. Like, when's the next one? What are you doing? Come to Fantastic Fest. Like, we we hold on to a heroine and we don't ever want to, we'll, we want to see you 40 years from now talking about the horror movie you made 40 years ago. So I hope you <laughs> continue to push, like, I guess my, my I got a final question would be, when you like talking about like embracing weird and embracing strange, what are like making something like this where you kind of discover a new sort of level that you can take yourself to in, in Angry Black Girl and Her Monster? Are there, as you are getting older and as you like approach like your 20s, one becomes theoretically more secure in themselves. Like what are weirdnesses of yours that you are unlocking that you might be excited to explore on screen to be like, man, I found this freak thing about me that I'm actually really stoked about. And like, I haven't seen that in a part, but like, I want it. Like, I, I want to bring that out. Like, is there anything like that? Where you're like, eh, actually, I want to do this, this crazy. Oh my gosh. That's so, that's such a great question. I have a few things. I mean, I love, I've always been a little like musical theater nerd. Mm, fantastic. <laughs> you know, so like I would love to do something, not even just in like the musical theater realm, but just I feel like it'd be so funny to even do parodies of certain musicals. Mm, sure. <laughs> um, I have always had this idea too with like, Mm, to be a part of a band, but in particular, like a metal band. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't play any instrument. Um, and that's <laughs> the truth. But I would just, I think that'd be so fun to like <laughs> be a part of some dark metal band in a film. And then, which also leads me to like a psychological thriller. I loved Black Swan mm. um, when I first watched it. And I always liked to dance when I was younger. And I've started, like, I bought tap shoes. I haven't really been doing anything with those tap shoes recently. <laughs> I feel like to tap into eight-year-old self, she would just love to be a little ballerina, but also a horrifying one at that. Uh, so like a, like a Natalie Portman turn in Black Swan, but like- Listen, the dance macabre, like the, the yeah. rich vein of dance art horror is a yeah. special and beautiful kind of psychosis that I want you to find, I want you to find your creative companion for this. And do, I, we I, always I, need more I, dance horror. We always need more dance horror. And there and there's something horrifying also about the swan aspect, just oh, like yeah. this, like, animalistic like she starts gaining feathers and i don't yeah, know the I, dimpling of the skin that looks like rashing yeah i loved it i loved it so much <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i, I guess th that's what i would i that, i guess that's my worst if i probably have so many weird things that i do that i just can't tap <laughs> that's completely I fine i just wanted to i just wanted to see what sort of avenues we could go down and you know hopefully like speak some things into exist intention set uh coming out of the show we want to go down every single avenue. Good. Well, this is, I, I have to let you go. And now I'm just having a nice time talking to you. So I feel like I must wrap it up. But it was, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Leia. I really appreciate it. It's just been wonderful having a, a sweeping conversation with you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you for watching the movie. But this has just been such a lovely conversation. So I'm glad I could be a part of it. Thank you again to Leia Deleon Hayes. The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster is in theaters now, and it is getting a really great critical response. So get out there, 
If it's playing near you, and go see it, because as we say here on Feeling Seen Pod, support independent cinema. We will say it over and over again, uh, just like we did last week when we said to support independent cinema in the form of the movie I produced, Give Me an A, will be on VOD as of June 29. Look at all that independent cinema. Uh, that movie and the angry black girl and her monster. Check them out. And now, that one quick thing before I go, I know I just plugged independent cinema, but now we're going to go big, we're going to go huge, we're going to go brawny, we're going to go muscly. We are going to go The Expendables 4. The Expendables 4, because the new trailer is out, and it has got... I mean, the trailer opens with Megan Fox and Jason Statham doing, like, sex fight flirting. And so, listen, it's already it's already poised to be the best Expendables there ever was. Uh, you know I'm excited about it because it's also got Eco Uwais and Tony Ja. You know, in addition to the All-Stars returning, the Stade, Stallone, Dolph Lundgren. Um, these are very important things. But you know that nothing has my heart like Madame Fox does. And she is in her Girls with Big Guns era. And we are celebrating that so hard. The movie comes out in September. So go treat yourself now to a little independent cinema, the angry black girl and her monster. And then gear yourself up for a tent pole Titans beat Titans showdown in Expendables 4. Because again, on this podcast, in addition to little movies, we support Megan Fox. So that is it, you guys. We did it. That is the show. You could follow us on Twitter at Pod, or send us an email at feelingscene@maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Your Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Eben. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.